So thank you to those of you who are listening in. We're doing something a little bit new today, and we're going to be learning about people's stories, who they actually are as safety professionals. How did they start? What do they do in their personal time? Learning about real people, the human behind the screen. And so today with me, I've got Sam Hawkins Sr. So welcome, Sam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And so you have a company which is YDE Safety, right? Yep. yep. So I, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to share with us, you know, about how you became a safety professional, your safety origin story. Can you share with us a bit, like, how did you fall into the safety profession? Okay, I can share, and I and I definitely fell in it. So this my story goes back to like ninety seven. I think um, ninety seven. I was actually I had got out of high school um, year before, um, and I was moved from Alabama to Toledo, Ohio, and I was working three jobs trying because I'd moved out, had this apartment, so I was working at Wendy's. I was working at a um, health club called Twenty First Century Super Fitness, and I was working third shift at FedEx. Um, and at some point in there, uh, a at Wendy's, a shift manager had one of his buddies came in and gave him an application to this place called Cousins Waste Control. They did hazardous waste cleanup and disposal. Um, he was a shift manager, was making good money. He didn't take the application. I filled it out, went and dropped it off at the place. I got hired as a hazardous waste technician. <laughs> and um, it's basically anything hazardous that everybody else runs from, you put on level level B or level A suits and you clean it up. I literally had a shovel and was shoveling stuff to a, a vacuum truck or vacuum hose. Um, but to start that job, before you ever got in the field, we had to go through 40-hour hazwopper training, confined space training, fall protection training, respir respiratory um, training. And just in the training, I, initially I was intrigued by the safety manager. This is the first company I ever worked with that I had a safety manager. Um, I was intrigued with just his in interaction with people. He was uh, ex-Marine and his just his his interaction was, I just, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed it. And so I kind of took to that. And, and so just started having conversations with him. Um, as I'm a year into working in the field in this company, I decided I was going to be a firefighter in the future. I'm like, you know, this is great. I, I, don't, I don't run from hard work, but I don't want to be 70 or whatever with this with this shovel and bent over still shoveling to this hose. So I'm like, I'm going to be a firefighter. So I started taking classes um, to prepare to be a firefighter when, when the exam comes up. Um, and during that time, there were some safety classes that you take as part of the process. Um, so now I'm two years in at this company. I'm still working in the field, and the company gets a um, a contract to do some cleaning and, and on a on a deep clean. So they built a new um, auto plant, and before they could open the the um, paint shop, you had to go from the rafters all the way down and clean all the construction dust out. So it was a deep clean from the building before they turned the system on. So initially it was just one shift, and he was safety over the shift, and I was working on it, fall protection, full. Full um, doing 100% contact or 100% fall protection, connecting in the air, literally walking beams. And um, those, the, the project got behind. They added another shift and decided that, hey, if we're going to have another shift, we got to have safety on it. He's the only safety person in the company. He pulled me to the side. I was like, Sam, didn't you take a couple safety classes out there? I'm like, yeah, I took like, you know, a little bit. I got an OSHA 30, you know, and a couple other things. And the summer from there, at nighttime, they decided I was the safety guy on the night shift. Um, project went on for a year. 
Um, we completed it. My ship had no accidents, no injuries. Um, the Chrysler, the, the construction managers, everybody gave me this little award. I got still got a picture of me holding about $100 in my parking space that I got <laughs> um, from completing it. After that, I went right back to the field, right back to shoveling. Um, did that for another year. Um, three years in, that guy who was a safety manager moved on to another company. He went out from a safety manager to a safety director somewhere else. I think we may have went three months uh, with no safety manager, about month, month four, people started getting hurt. And the operations manager, the assistance operation manager called me in his office and was like, Sam, look, people are getting hurt. If I give you the keys to Brian's office, to Brian McDaniel was the previous safety manager. He's like, do you know what to do when you get in there? Um, I said, yes, <laughs> I didn't have a clue. <laughs> he threw me the key. I walked in the office, I pulled up Brian's computer and spent weeks looking at what he used to do. Um, so I, I, I dove right in and that's, that was my first start in the safety and, 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 and kind of how I got into it. <laughs> so you really had a baptism of fire. Yes. In a I, way, yeah, eh? It, definitely. It was, people were getting hurt. There were um, recordables instantly. I'm talking, and when I say, I mean, I'm talking two a week and it was, it was insane. There was vehicle accidents that needed to be, um, you know, um, do inspections or investigations, uh, drug screens that weren't being done. It was a list from the jump. Yes. <laughs> so would you say that that was your biggest challenge to safety to date, or is there something that would even triumph that? Oh, that, that wasn't my biggest challenge. Now I will say that's a challenge. And the reason it was a challenge is I would be honest. I came in at that point where I had been to school three months. I, had, you know, six months, I had taken a few classes, while I was doing the other stuff, I was taking one class at a time. But even at that point, I wasn't going to school for safety. I was studying to be a firefighter. <laughs> so um, um, I, I really didn't know safety. And so today you can go Google anything. You can pull up safety, um, their OSHA's website and all that kind of stuff or any of the regulations. Back then, I had to buy the books. So I bought the books. They were shipped, shipped to me. And again, it's a, these two thick books that you got. I'm looking at, I had to narrow down like what's my problems or what are the work we do and find those in the book and first learn the regulation. Now, the, re the regulation would just tell me the bare minimum to do. It so to be compliant, it doesn't necessarily tell me how to be safe. So it was now taking what I read with, with nothing to Google, nothing to look up, nobody to ask questions and try to apply it in the field and figure out what, what works. So it wasn't like this was an instant success. Like, you know, I would love to tell the story and say, hey, as soon as I got in, I turned it around. But it took me two years just to figure out what didn't work. You know, so so that was that was a that was a huge obstacle in itself, um, but still wasn't my biggest obstacle. <laughs> so what would you say then was your biggest obstacle? If you were to look at your career in safety, what's the biggest challenge you had to overcome? Um, truthfully, if I, my biggest challenge that I've had to overcome and I continue to overcome and now I enjoy the, the challenge is um, stereotypes. So um, it, I'll just say, you know, every, every company I've ever been in safety, um, when, when, when people, when there's meetings and there were management meetings and they come to the table to talk and discuss, I've always been the, the only one that looked like me at that table. That's 23 years of this. I've always been the only one that looked at that. But, and that wasn't the concern. The concern was me having to retrain the brains of everybody else at the table. Um, you know, me, honestly, like people expecting either 
you know, me to either show up late or not get stuff done or not know what I'm talking about or talk like, um, you know, in a video. Um, so I, I, I almost the challenge for me was retraining them enough to where and it didn't it didn't do it by talking. I had to do it with effort. So I had to go do the work. I had to go get the results and they had to prove that, oh, crap, that does happen or he can do that or they did. They do that. So that's that's been my challenge. It's it's every every door I walk through, every company I show up for, that's an issue. Um, but the difference between um, you know, 97 and and now is I get over that hump a lot faster. You know, I mean it's it doesn't take them long now to say, okay, yeah, I trust this guy. He's he's got it, you know, let's move forward. So, but that's that's been my biggest challenge. You know, breaking that barrier of being the individual who is black at the table. And then I guess, are you saying fighting the stereotypes that people have seen play out in movies in different areas in society? And then them bringing that into their concept of the, the, the meeting? Can you walk us through that a little bit? So, so yes, yeah, so I can walk you through that. And I'll tell yeah. you an actual experience and conversation that opened my eyes to this. So I didn't come in, I'll say woke, and I knew I had to do this. I came in being myself. Just so happened, I was on time because I value being on time. I did get the work done because I don't play when it comes to work. But I didn't know I was doing that. I had a conversation. I was working with a company and a young lady walked up to me. Well, she was older than me, but we was both young. And she walked up to me and she was like, hey, me and my boyfriend was talking about you at, at home last night. And I was like, I almost called you. And I'm like, so, I mean, safety people, we got a phone, we're, you're, on, you're on call 24 hours, so everybody in the company got your number. And I was like, huh, you almost called me? Hey, I, I got a girlfriend. My wife was my girlfriend, and I'm like, don't call me, uh, get me in trouble. Uh, but she was like, no, no, it wasn't that. She was like, we were watching the movie, um, Save the Last Dance, I think is the name of the movie. Um, and and if I'm if I'm right, but it's a, it's a, it's a dancing movie, and it's a, I know it's a black kid in there, and I don't, I don't watch a lot of movies, so I don't know the kids, the, his name, but he talks and speaks, I guess, real elo eloquent in the movie. And I guess he really protect, projects himself. And she said they were talking and her, and her boyfriend was like, man, he's a great actor that he could make his voice sound like that and talk so professional. And she told him, she was like, we got a black guy at work that talks just like that. And, and, and he didn't believe her. And so she was going to call to let her him hear me to prove that we don't sound like the videos and the movies and but and and just so just to understand this and before we make it take it like the way this sounds like it's going understand her background her their family raises horses they're on a farm in the middle of nowhere they know horses and people and farms and horses zero interaction with black people other than when she came to work and remember i told you i'm the only one at those tables so what many of me before i got hired there so that's their interaction, other than what they saw on TV. Now, some can say, oh, you're a little naive. Maybe they were, but they had never heard it, and, and, you know, other than movies. And so that let me know, like, wow, for one, I didn't do it to get her to say that in the future to her boyfriend, but me being me changed that in two people. So then moving forward, I understood in order to get more of me at the table or more of me to get past the interview process, I do have to be a little bit more deliberate about how I carry myself or how it's perceived and recognizing those stereotypes because they would come up in conversations before and I didn't get it. It would be over my head until you, you're replaying something later on like, oh, what I got to work on? Then you hear what, oh, this is what Roger said. That was this. 
But in the moment, I'm just having a conversation. So even having that experience with her helped me be a lot more deliberate about my interactions moving forward because there were there was bias and there were things that I had to break down in order to have those conversations. Yeah, and I think this, Sam, is, is things that are happening day to day that we don't step back and reflect and think about, right? right? And, and right. I like the fact that you're bringing up, it's like, what are people exposed to? Right. when they're going through their own journey of life, right. because yeah. that brings with them their knapsacks of how they perceive things with people that they're interacting. So exactly what you said, you know, if, if you're in a community where you're not exposed to people of diversity and people of different cultures, then then you're not going to have a um the ability to see how different people in the actual culture themselves um, are different, right? right Everybody right. is different and brings something different to people who are of the same race will not necessarily be exactly the same. Right. And that's like all the way across, right? And I think that for some people that is is hard to at first realize, right? Yeah. Because I, I like the fact that you've cracked this open about stereotypes and us as health and safety professionals taking a step back and thinking about that when we are interacting with an employee who may be um, fewer of, of that race or that religion or whatever they are than the dominant in that employment, what barriers and stereotypes might that person also have to be um walking through in their journey right that's that's right. one thing i think that people listening to the show can take out of this is that we do need to be more um open hearted when we're when we're interacting with with people in both our peers and employees in the workplace right right and 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 the reason even taking that a step further past that when we talk safety that's that's imperative to safety. So you know, if I go out and I'm on a, and I'm going to do an inspection, and there's a guy on the roof and he's on the edge and he doesn't have fall protection, race, background, where he grew up, what his beliefs, what he voted for is irrelevant to me doing what I say I believe in in that moment. I'm you know I, I don't you know so and that's the other part is in in this when we start really going to safety. Yes, it's with employers, but down to our profession. You know, none of that matters in that moment. You know, our our job is making sure they go home. That's, I mean, that's, and, and we say it, but that's at the end of the day, that's that's where our work comes from or, or, or decreases. The more people we send home, the more we work, the less people we send home, it goes the other way. So I, I don't care what you, who you voted for. I don't care about your hat, what color it is. Today you're going home. Put this on or go home without it on, but either way you'll live. <laughs> That, you know, it has, that's all has to be our approach. Absolutely. And keeping in mind too, like everybody comes with a different perception of risk. Right. So, right. you know, what I've traveled through in life is going to curve what I see as a potential risk or hazard and what isn't. As whereas what you've walked through in life, you're going to be exposed to different things as well. And so your perception of what a risk might be or hazard might also be different and so it's kind of getting aligned so that we're understanding and are on the same page to making sure that 
whatever safety practices are necessary, there's a common understanding. Would that be a fair statement? That's fair and it's perfect and because it, it opens up two points there is we do know for the most part, nobody shows up to get hurt. So even when yeah. I say that, it's it's not like, oh, you're, you know, you wanted the, it's, nobody shows up to get hurt um, unless they did show up to get hurt. So it's one of two things. Either that person's comfortable in that situation, they've done it for years, they don't see the threat and I need to bring them back, educate them, get them on my side of thinking here. Or they did come to work to jump off. Now I need to have this conversation with you and we need to take this somewhere else. But either, either way, you, you're right that the risk there is different. Either they're, they don't really see themselves taking a the risk or they're about to take the ultimate risk. So it's, you know, it's see them, find out why they are, where, where they are, and then bring them back. And that's, you know, that's the approach. And we're talking falls, but that's, you know, that's any of those hazards we see on site. Let's figure out why they are where they are. And, yeah. you know, I, I, that's a common thing I ask if I'm on a site is, hey, what, let me see, what you doing there? Why are you doing it that way? Let me hear that side first before I just say, Yo, whoever said the regulation is that, let's figure out why they're doing it. You know, they may have went through your 10 things and found out this was the safest option available in that moment. So, you know, yeah. um, that part too. Absolutely. Listening and understanding where the person is at the moment. That's a critical skill. Thank you for sharing that and getting people to think about that. So from your experiences so far, you know, what do you believe it really takes to be a successful safety professional? Ooh, so that's that's a lot. Um, and it's a lot packaged in there. But two things that jump out with me at me is persistence. Um, well, three things, persistence, passion. And don't take it personal. It just so happened, those are all three P's, but um, <laughs> per persistence, um, passion, and don't take it personal. I mean, and, and passion, I, and I'll start with that one because just I, I work with safety professionals. Those that are, are good, like you say, the big, a good safety professional, they care about what they do. They care about people. They, they, they genuinely care. Some are just doing a job. This is, this is, yeah, some are just doing the job. This is what it said as my task on the job I apply for. I'm going to do these and I'm going to do just enough to stay hired. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the ones who want to be a good one. You, 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 that passion has to be there. You know, um, then the let me jump to don't take it personal. The guy I just talked about on the roof, you know, if I'm there and he's been doing this for 30 years this way and I come back and talk to him and, he, and I convince him to put on fall protection that day or use some form of fall protection. Um, that particular day, and I come back and see it again. He's not saying screw you, Sam. He's this is who he is. It's not personal. Let's have this conversation. Let's drive it in a little bit more. Have us take time to break. And I think you know, as safety professionals, some of them, some of us get slanted and don't continue to grow because we take those things personal. Um, which leads me to the being persistent. The other thing I see as safety professionals is once we take those things per personal, we start to say, okay, well, I'm going to leave Bob alone over here. I'm going to just go talk to the eight who listen to me. Well, the eight that listen to you are doing what they need to do. Bob's, Bob's your, your, your concern, but Bob's your responsibility. You know, So that persisted to, okay, I've said it this way three times. Let me change the way I'm saying this. Let me try a different approach. But that's being persistent until you figure out which approach works for Bob, because what got finally gets Bob to put it on isn't the same thing that got Chris to wear it yesterday. And that's the thing is 
um, we want to take this and throw it at you a couple of times and say, forget it. Let me go over here where it works. But those are the three things. If I mean, if you're not passionate about it, you won't be, you won't be good at it. If you take it personal, you won't be in it long or you'll be burned out and your weekends and your nights and everything will be miserable. And if you if you want results, you're going to have to be persistent. It, change takes time. I wanted to change gears a little bit and kind of get to know Sam, off work Sam, cool. you know. Cool. And so can you share a little bit, like what kind of things are you, Sam, doing when you're not wearing that safety hat and you're you're out doing other things? So when I'm not wearing a um, safety hat, well, I, I got four kids, but two still at, two at home, and, my, and I'm and I'm married. So um, I got um, a daughter that's a senior now who runs track. I got a son who's um, seventh grade. He plays football and rugby. Um, so so um, in the off seasons, I'm their trainer. Um, they're they're both coming into season now. So a lot of times with, with my daughter right now, it's more of kind of talking, working with her after practice kind of deals. We do something where we kind of read together. So we're both readers. Um, so we do a lot of where we'll sit and we'll buy a book and we'll, we'll sit in the room and we read in this separate books. We aren't reading the same thing, but we will sit there. And she's reading hers. I'm reading mine for an hour. Um, I do a lot of that. My, my son, I'm also his rugby coach. So I volunteered um, for one of the local um, youth uh, rugby clubs, rugby team, um, seventh and eighth grade team. And I'm one of the coaches there. Um, so with him, our, right, we're in the off season where we do conditioning every Sunday, but Monday through Friday, I'm his, I'm his coach. So <laughs> Tuesdays and Thursdays, we do rugby practice. The other days we do conditioning and some, some weight training. Um, and then stuff, stuff with my wife, we, we do um, on weekends, probably every other weekend, we hang out with some other couples. And then um, in between there, we throw in um, some date night stuff. Um, so those are, those, that, that's the family stuff I'm doing. Um, then every Saturday, I, 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 I um, volunteer three hours to a, a, a local boxing club that opens their doors for three hours to the youth. And so this is this is open if they're youth, if they got, you know, problems they're dealing with in school or any of that kind of stuff. They come in there and we'll spend the first hour um, taking them through boxing, get you sweating, teach you some stuff, whether it's self-defense or just confidence. And then we go sit on the mat. So this it's a boxing gym, but it has an MMA or a, a, a um, mixed martial arts side. Take our shoes off, go sit on the mat, and we talk about life. What's your problems? What is this? What does it mean to be some of the stuff I talked about earlier? What does it mean to be on time? What does it mean to have? What's your reputation and things like that? So we do a lot of just helping them with obstacles um, through the week. So I do that every um, every um, Saturday. And then right now, every Sunday for two hours, I, I, I volunteer the time for the rugby team where we do um, conditioning. Here in another couple of weeks, that'll be every Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday. So that's a, that's a lot of what I do in my off time. It still is giving. Um, one of the things that my wife's been telling me is I still need to find something to do for myself, by myself, just to, you know, woosah. And so I've, I've never been in the golf, never really watched it, but I think I might find me a golf coach here soon and take that up just to go find something to actually do for myself other than reading and working out. So, Well, let's explore that a little bit, something to do for yourself, because I'm, I'm actually in the same boat as you. And I used to play the flute. Nice. And so I've been thinking about, well, maybe I should get back into that because that's like a solitary moment that, yeah. that you can just think and reflect. If you did do something for Sam, what would that look like? You mentioned golf. 
So the only reason I, I, I mentioned golf because it's something I haven't done. One of the things I'm learning with myself is that's that's what I what I just told you. Is I spend the most of my time, but I do a lot of stuff. So, but and and when I say that is mean, I'm a I'm a um, I'm a retired pro boxer. I actually coach and manage pros. So a lot of my time I spend when I do my workouts. It's it's boxing workouts are half of the week, and the other ones I do some 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 lifting and cardio. But those used to be my solitary time. Now, when I'm boxing, I'm thinking about what can I work on with this fighter? What can I do with this? So it's now it's taking my brain away. And when I lift and, and work out, that used to be another time, throw on my headphones, my, mu my music. But now I'm thinking about training and coaching. Okay, maybe the kids need to work on this. Maybe I can bring kettlebells to practice and help with their, you know, and so those don't take me away because they're attached to other things. Mm -hmm. um, and so that is kind of, it's kind of new for me just to figure what's that thing. The same thing, I, I do walk. I love getting out in nature and just walking. Um, and that's great for me mentally. And, and, and But that's where most of my thoughts and new ideas come from. So it ends up more of a, let me write this down. Um, so I, I don't, I don't, so golf, I'm looking for something that I can detach from everything else in life yeah. to see if it really can draw me away. Absolutely. And, and I think that that goes back, like one of the things you were talking about was like mental health yes. and finding that, that, that special something for yourself, for your own mental health. So you can detach, as you said, yep. and just kind of be in the moment, enjoying what's going on without having your, your brain rush off to, as you said, oh, I've got another idea. Let me write it down. Right. Right, right. Well, it's necessary. And I know that's one of the things we talk about giving, giving, and it's and, and, and I give because it it ignites me to do it. It's not fake. It's not a it's not an agenda. Half of the stuff I just talked about, like I don't post all that on my social media anyway. Because yeah. it's not to say, "Ooh, look at me! I'm helping the kids." I don't need to tell you every week what they talked about, you know. Um, but the other thing that we don't talk about when we give and volunteers and stuff, and I know you can relate to is. Even when you're giving because you love it and it's helpful, it's still draining. It's draining mm -hmm. physically and it's draining mentally. Um, so, you know, so, in, in some of that, we forget the, the people who are giving and givers usually don't have anybody else to, to draw from. And so no matter how you slice it, it's a cup. If I'm giving it here, 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 and you're giving it there, 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 nothing's filling this back up. So right. at some point, you know, even the kids that I'm helping, let's just say every Saturday, I got to, I got to get up, go to the gym, drive there, get ready to do this, talk to the kids or whatever. At some point, if I'm never putting anything back in me, even at some point, six months down to nine, nine months, my help for them changes. You know, now I'm showing up yeah. later. Now when they have something to say, I don't have the interaction that they need that might've literally helped the kid that week. So I think so many times as helpers and volunteers, we don't, we don't, we don't, um, we don't fill ourselves back up. And in most cases, the ones that I know that are like me, we usually don't have anybody else to go to. So everybody comes just honestly, and I'm not saying it like Superman, but everybody comes, if there's a problem, they come to me, Sam's got you, he's got, you. and they're right. I'm going to do what I can to get it done or get them to the right person. But I don't have that. So it's how do I mentally get myself to keep going? Um, and, um, and then how do I um, be able to, to, to give back to them? Yeah. And I think a piece that you, you're bringing out was uh, re-energizing your battery. Yep. Right. Yep. So that those moments when you, like you, you said, you have children, you have kids that you're also giving to. And as a parent myself, like you have to be in the moment with your child. 
-hmm. when they're sharing stuff that, you know, it it may really not be as of top of mind for you, but for them it is. And so you have to give that break and, and focus, which as you said, if you're tired and you're stressed, that's very hard to do. So having those moments where you've you've taken that time out to figure out how do I recharge Sam's battery so Sam can be then the best Sam right, for right. those who are you are giving to. It's so critical. Right. And so and, and so that brings up something that 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 um I didn't know if I, I was gonna go there, but it your that your response brought up something, especially when it comes, it's one thing to help. But especially when it comes to being there for family. So again, I know when we do these, we're supposed to sound like I've always had it together. I woke up and I was this person. There's life experiences help you get this. People also forget the person who's helping is helping in many cases because they overcome or because or overcame or they needed help in this situation. They couldn't find anybody. They got through and they're trying to help somebody else. So the thing with the mental health to me, the reason it's so personal and, it, and I'm adamant about it is um, there was a time where I wasn't there for my my kids, for my family, including my wife, because I'm too busy helping everybody else who's not helping me. So yes, the community needs you. Yes, the kids need coaches. Yes, they need mentors. But I got two at home that, where's dad? You know, I got a wife at home. Um, when's the last time we talked? You know, and, it, and it's right because as soon as somebody else needs it, you need it. So when you do get depleted and when there is nothing there, who do you go to? And if it, 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 nothing else is family, I'm sitting there, I'm around them and I'm, I'm just soaking them up. So they're, they're there for my rescue. But, and, and, and again, I didn't learn that, get that because it just made sense. I had a, a, a scenario and I, I'll talk around it because it's not to point the people out, but there was some years ago, I, I coached rugby for about two years for a high school. And um, during that time, I was super huge on Instagram. I, you know, posted everything. I talked about everything. It was all out there had this following um, and it was cool. I, and when you coach, and especially if you coach in high school, sure you're coaching, and, and but you're mentoring somebody's kids. Those, uh, these are young, young men in high school. Um, you're, you're influencing who they're gonna be two years from now, a year from now. Absolutely, your interaction, what you do, what you expect from them, what you get out of them. So you're mentoring these kids. So in that space, I got, you know, I had the kids follow my Instagram. I had the parents follow my Instagram. And I'll just say this, you know, um, I blew up in weight. I mean, when I tell you over those two years, I, I'll say it. I mean, it's scary, it's scary to admit, but I got to 418 pounds. So at 418 pounds, I, again, not only am almost not about to be here for my family, um, you know, which is another thing, um, but I had to stop. I was doing too much. I was helping them and not just to point the rugby out. I was also helping a boxing gym across town, both for free, you know, um, at the same time, I couldn't do both. And I decided, okay, I got to stop rugby. I didn't stop boxing. I stopped rugby. Um, and and I, when I tell you back then, you used to post and the family and everybody, they like it, they share it, they this. One day after I was no longer the coach, all unfollow, all stop this. And then you sit there again, you sitting there now like, wow, who am I left with? I'm left with this family who I've neglected while I was helping them. Because six months later, I had to stop coaching the rugby team. I mean, the boxing team, same thing, disappeared. Not, and so, again, it's, it's one thing to be, you know, helpful and replenishing yourself. But it's another thing to be there for the ones that's in your house. Be there for your family. Because even if they can't, even if my kids can't help me, sitting there and just soaking them up and watching them in their house and watching their movement, 
it, it, it ignites me, it fuels me. I can smile about it. So it, even if they can't say anything, my wife looking over and knowing I'm going through and just smile. You know, that's the stuff that none of them were given and none of them can help with. So it's imperative to, to be there, like you said, in that moment. Sure, go give, but don't neglect why you're giving. And that's that's what I took from both of those experiences. And it took it to happen twice to be like, wow, I'm helping the world. And <laughs> who's there for me? The same, the family that I didn't see for two years because I was helping everybody else. And I also, Sam, what you've just said now, you know, looking at the people around you that it they matter giving that energy and time matter giving it to your children giving it to your wife giving it to your family because those are going to be the people who are going to have sustainable relations with, with you throughout life so if you remember in the green room we were talking about um healthy giving and taking relationships having balance right that's a part of that too yes so now I like what you're talking about. You've got a, a great mix of things going on. I love the fact too that, you know, you talked about your partner, your wife, and the fact that you have things going on, the mixed couples, the date night stuff in order to feed that relationship too. So it's good to hear this and seeing how you've got a really good balance now about feeding positive energy into the different relationships because we don't talk about that a lot right in our right. session like in our profession we're health and safety professionals right. but what does that really mean when we look holistically at the total worker and we're a total worker too right right well and and that's the other part with health and safety professionals a lot of times work can be so stressful we come home and don't want to talk or don't want to do this it was that kind of day but those days add up, you know, if you, yeah. those days add up over a career or over a year and soon you end up this way or that far apart because of how many days you didn't talk, you know, and, and some sometimes it's sometimes we have those days, sometimes she has those, but we can sit and turn a movie on and both be quiet too. So it's in that in that moment, you know, even if we don't want to talk, we can not talk together. <laughs> it's okay. Right. right. You don't have to talk together all the time. You can sit back and enjoy something like a movie or music or whatever. And that kind of led me into the next thing I wanted to kind of find out about Sam was, you know, has there been anything that has been really influential, like really influenced you over the years? That could be books or movies, shows, etc. Like uh, um, uh, influencers, anybody, anything. Let us know about that. Oh, I'm, I'm, I mean, um, I grab, I grab. I'm influenced by a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of stuff. If, if it's positive and it's moving forward, so my kind of stuff, like books, to me, the first one that comes to mind is one Re relentless. It was by one of um, Kobe Bryant's coaches. Um, one is peak performance, and peak performance. I'm listening to it now for the fourth time. Um, and still getting stuff out of it. And I forget the authors, but that one really hones in how we grow from rest, which is, you know, something with safety, something in our professions, um, something that they find out the top athletes, the top performers, the top artists, the top, top authors all prioritize rest just like they do work. And all of us, we're working, you know, can, both ends of the candle. We don't stop. We don't stop. We help, help, help. And we realize we're doing just enough to be good at it or decent at it. But the greats are great because they have the courage to rest. So that one I'm listening to now, again, talk about all the stuff I'm doing. I'm listening to it for the fourth time to keep getting nuggets out of it, to keep restarting my own rest. 
Um, so that's a big one for me. Um, just about every book from James Baldwin um, has, has influenced me in some way. I've taken little bits and pieces from those. Um, movies was a couple of them, which is ironic because um, they're, they're both in theory, they're both women movies, we'll say women, but Color Purple um, it was a was just huge because I, I could just relate to everything in there. So I was I was raised by my mom, my mom raised six of us. Um, um, you know, I, I don't, it's not that I'm ashamed of saying that. I don't like telling the story that tells somebody else's story. That's her story to tell. But but I was raised by my mom. So, you know, that movie, I, I just saw a lot, you know, the strength and the growth and the power I saw in that I could resonate with. And ironically, one of my favorite movies that I've already watched a couple of times now is Woman King. Um, so <laughs> Woman King. Um, so those, those influence me. And then what's, you know, and I say this, sometimes I hesitate to share this, but it's true because of, if people don't get the meaning, one of my probably biggest influences in life was actually Malcolm X. Um, and, and the reason I say that is it depends on what people remember about him or what their perception is. Um, but mine's really had nothing to do with his, his politics or, or, or what people could perceive as hate or anything. Mine's with Malcolm X, what really influenced me as a person um, was um, who he started as. So he started as this criminal whatever, he's in prison, he learns about this religion or this, whatever people want to call it. Um, and he changed because that was better than who he was. He, as he got in there, he preached that, he learned it, he believed it, he went overseas, he went to Mecca, he went to some other places. And he learned what he, his understanding of, you know, people in, um, in his religion wasn't the same in other places. So he then changed his, his, um, his opinion or what he had been known for saying and was able to preach more of togetherness and moving forward, you know, regardless of race. And um, what I really, you know, so the thing was he, what, what he was when you run into him was the best version of himself with the information he knew at the time. And he wasn't scared to get new information or new ideas and change. Whereas a lot of us are, you know, I've said this for 20 years, I got to stick to it. But, you know, if science and this and everything proves there's another way or a better way, he wasn't afraid to, um, to change that. And ironically, um, reason I understand why people are scared to do that, because him doing that is literally what got him killed. So he would have been better off to stay with the one group that he knew he felt was wrong at that time because he would have protection and they, it wouldn't have been more than one side after you. Now everybody hated him by the time he was the third version of himself. But, and he knew that that was coming. So for me, what I took from that is just, you know, hey, not being afraid. This is who I was. You know, this is my background. This is my, you know, my upbringing. And I can relate to that to not because of going to prisons or not for going for that, but me, as you introduced this guy who owns this safety company, who's been doing safety for 23 years, who did this for 16 years for company, for companies. I did that. I came from the neighborhood that the streets were brick. Like they didn't even pave our streets. Like we're, our street, when you come across the railroad tracks and our, our neighborhood was called the brickyard because they didn't even bother to throw asphalt across it. So it was... <laughs> Oh, oh, you know, so that's the neighborhood I came up in. I come from where my next door neighbors and two neighbors doors down and my best friend all killed as teenagers by gunshots. So so I, I, I come from that. I come from the coolest people that we knew were drug dealers because they had the new cars and the new clothes. And that. so, yes, I can relate to him coming from a certain background, getting education and getting the understanding and changing with that. 
So that's how I come from where I come from to being able to live where I live now, to have the background on my wall in the back, this cute back here versus the back, the wall that I grew up in where there were holes in it. So mm -hmm. um, that's why he was influenced for me. I took, you know, I always tell people when I make a decision, um, I make a decision based off of the best information I have at that time. And if right. two weeks from now I learn something else and I'm wrong, I've always been okay going back and saying I was wrong. I, that was the decision I made that day based off of that. And that's, that's, that's why I said it was influenced with me. That's kind of how I, not the politics side, but I live life off of that is give me the information, give me the rules. Yeah. I'll make a decision that, based off of that. And, and I like that you're bringing this up, right? Again, it goes back to some things that we talked about before about understanding people what journeys people have gone through, because we all change throughout our journey of life. Yeah, no, this has been a wonderful discussion. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. This has been great. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. I really did. Thank you, Sam. No and for everybody listening, thank you for tuning in.